What's going on, guys? In this pod, I'm going to discuss basically just a little bit of a, kind of some current event things going on, some things that um, I find interesting, at least in the football world and the NFL world right now, and I'm just going to give my take on those things. So number one, the Aaron Rodgers situation, right? This whole thing has been kind of crazy. You know, we've been thinking Aaron Rodgers is done with Green Bay. He's not wanting to play there anymore. And the whole time, I kept reiterating like, dude, the Packers are a good organization. And that, to some people, believe it or not, seemed insane. Me saying Green Bay is a great organization. Like, imagine if he was in Houston or, you know, with some of these other teams that, uh, you know, imagine he had the, the supporting cast that Cam Newton had oftentimes in Carolina. You know, there are many a quarterbacks that have had far worse situations than what Aaron Rodgers has been blessed with, in my opinion, in Green Bay. Then it hit me. And I actually need to give credit to um, that show, Skip and Shannon show. I don't really watch it very often at all, but it just so happened to be playing on my uh, YouTube app. I think it was yesterday, the day before, and it and it clicked in my head. Okay, so you've got the um, Brett Favre coming out and saying, you know, Aaron is is most certainly uh, like I could see Aaron not not caving in and basically like demanding a trade or sitting out or retiring or whatever. And then you've got like all these mixed things, right? You've got Adam Schefter releasing this on draft day and it just everything that has gone on, you know, I think it was the former receiver. I can't remember his name that came out and said he thinks that it is salvageable. And just the whole way this thing has been orchestrated screams one thing to me, and it should have screamed it right off the bat. Aaron Rodgers, it's not just that he wants more money. He wants a sizable extension for multiple years, right? So in other words, if Green Bay was to say, hey, you're making like an average of 33 million, 33 and a half million, you know, average annual salary with the contract you just signed a couple of years ago, by the way, why don't we just not give you the, you know, additional years? Why don't we just give you 40 million instead or 43 million instead of 33 million or whatever it might be, right? I think that's not going to be enough for Rodgers. I think he wants to tear that contract up, and I think he wants to get, you know, let's say another five-year deal. And the reason I think that is, or at least what, this is Jordan Love's second year. I'm going to tie this into the whole Jordan Love thing, of course. This is Jordan Love's second year, right? So they, they you've got to be thinking the Packers are, are assuming they have Jordan Love for five years, right? I think Aaron Rodgers is going to say, okay, so this is Love's second year. So you've got your two, three, four, and then a fifth-year option. So four years. Yeah, I'm going to need a five-year deal, right? Just to, just to stick it to him. If you don't give me that five-year deal, which is basically meaning that you are getting rid of Jordan Love, you know, because you have no choice to unless you want to be keeping a backup quarterback for all those years that you spent a first-round pick on. Because this is Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion, this is his way – of sticking it to the Packers, right? Oh, you you guys drafted a quarterback, huh? You thought I was done, right? Yeah, it looked like I was done for a minute there, didn't I? Nope. The only way, now that you know I'm not done, the only way you're going to get peace, <laughs> essentially, is by giving me a contract extension that would, in you know, by default, result in you giving up on the guy you drafted in the first round. Nice try drafting somebody, you know, nice try drafting my replacement, um, but that's how it's going to be. You know, I think that's basically the position of Aaron Rodgers, you know, because I think that he wouldn't have minded. Um, I, I don't know if that's the right way to say this. He he wouldn't have been, you know, totally upset about not being the highest paid 
quarterback in the NFL, right? You know, and so I think that even with that, it just so happens that he's not the highest paid quarter, quarterback in the NFL and he just come off an MVP year and his team thought he was clearly finished or about to be finished. So they drafted his replacement. I think this is his, you know, very passive aggressive in typical Aaron Rodgers fashion way of saying, screw you guys. You know, I'm going to make you trade Jordan Love because it's going to be the only thing that makes sense once you extend me to the way that I want to be extended. So I think in a normal situation, like if they didn't draft Jordan Love last year and everything else played out exactly the same, I think Rodgers would just say, hey, you know, I've got three years left in my deal. Why don't you just throw an extra 30 million on there, you know, or whatever it might be, right? Seven, 21 million on there, 7 million more per year. And um, I'll be happy with that. But I think now it's like, nah, I'm not happy with that. I want like undeniable support of the organization. And I want it for one year longer, or at least for as long as the rest of Jordan Love's contract. Any problems with that? You know, like if you think I'm your guy, right? That's what you keep telling the media. I'm your guy for the foreseeable future. Prove it. That's basically what I kind of think that's going on with Aaron Rodgers now. Because here's the thing, dude. When people were saying it was unsalvageable and all that kind of stuff, and there were some people, you know, at least, um, you know, alluding to that in some way or another, I think that's just ridiculous, right? Because I was looking at it, and that's why I was getting so frustrated. I'm like, what is he talking about, you know? And then it's like, oh, I get it. Okay. So, you know, that's just that's just what it is. So, um, respect to Aaron Rodgers. He's, he's actually playing it perfectly. And the whole thing, and the, the reason why – I don't like Aaron Rodgers, but I also low-key like the way he's handling this is because it's so in his nature to do this, you know, using everything at his disposal on the chessboard, so to speak, in a very passive-aggressive manner. He still hasn't said a single word. You know, he's allowed Brett Favre and, and guys that like him and support him and the guys that he has relationships with and that he trusts, he's allowed them to dictate the whole narrative and and while he's just sat back behind the curtains kind of enjoying himself you know and i think it's just so so happened to be on the one year anniversary of the packers drafting you know his replacement is when this all started which was of course draft day not not one year to the day but you get what i'm saying day one of the draft so anyways i think aaron Rodgers. and long story short guys he just wants to get paid and he wants to get paid in guaranteed money, in big guaranteed money, because he's kind of trying to stick it to them now for drafting his replacement. And I think he wants that money um, for at least as many years as Jordan Love is in the league, probably even one more just to, uh, you know, just kind of stick it to him a little bit more. But that's my take on the on the Aaron Rodgers saga as it pertains to right now. All right, next thing I want to talk about is the Jacksonville Jaguars sign Tim Tebow, okay? Obviously, this has a lot of people up in arms like, what are you doing? The guy's 33 years old. He's never really played tight end in a meaningful NFL game before. And he hasn't played in a long time. And there are other tight ends available. I get all that. But here's what I will say. If I were the Jaguars, I wouldn't be signing him to play tight end. I'd be signing him to play quarterback. And not that he'd be taking Trevor Lawrence's job. I'm not saying that. Of course I'm not. But what I'd be saying is, look, if you – God forbid anything happens to Trevor Lawrence. Let's assume they trade Gardner Minshew because I think all signs are pointing to that or they just outright release him. Um, probably trade him though. If they were to, anything were to happen to Trevor Lawrence, you got a guy in Tim Tebow that in my opinion, and I've said, I've, if you guys, obviously there's no way you could have been following me back then, but I felt the same way then as I do now. If you design the offense around him, 
you know, and you and you only ask him to do what he can do, which is throw the ball 18 to 23 times a game and run it 12 to 15 times, you know, and don't ask him to do certain things as a passer that that you know he's physically incapable of doing or for the most part has has a little bit of a limitation at, at least. But I would just play my quarterback, man. Look, what role model could you get to better support Trevor Lawrence than Tim Tebow in terms of knowing how Urban Meyer wants things done, knowing how certain things are supposed to be done in that system, right? I'm assuming it'll be a, at least a very similar system to what he's always run, um, that kind of spread concept. But what, I mean, what better role model? And they also are pretty aligned in their character, right? Trevor Lawrence has a very high character, something I've spoken highly of this entire process. Um, he's, he's, uh, I think Christian as well. And so those two are going to get along really well. So I don't know why you're going to want to, you know, play him at tight. I, I guess you could play him in sort of the Taysom Hill role, which I think makes a ton of sense. And if you think that it's just one team that feels this way about Tebow, um, what about the fact that the New Orleans Saints are paying Taysom Hill like 10 plus million dollars a year to be a quarterback slash tight end slash receiver like is that not a role that you don't think tim tebow could do at at least just as good or a higher level than Taysom hill i mean at one point in time tim tebow was drafted in the first round to play quarterback in the nfl right like you saw his limitations and you uh you know josh mcdaniels and company they drafted him to play quarterback right so it's not like the craziest thing but in any case you want him to be the quarterback slash just the Taysom hill role we'll call it I think that's a great, I think it's a great idea. I, and, and also you have to understand Tim Tebow knows Urban Meyer, obviously. He was his college coach and, and they had a ton of success together, national championships and all that. And he just basically reached out to him and said, hey man, can I come, can I come play? I want to be a part of your team. I think that that's to me not as unbelievable as a lot of people are making it out to be. I think a lot of people have these, you know, certain types of narratives that they want to always bring things back to. And I think that sometimes you just have to look at it, it from an individual basis, right? Tim Tebow is going to be great for the locker room. He's going to be great for Trevor Lawrence. He's going to be, um, he's going to be probably a emotional leader on that team. You know, whether he can play tight end or not, I totally am with you guys. I don't know. I mean, I don't know about that, but I think that if you use him in the Taysom Hill type of role, I think that he can definitely do that. If you're telling me that Taysom Hill can do what Taysom Hill's doing, Tim Tebow can too. Now, Tim Tebow's not as fast as Taysom Hill. I think Taysom Hill's like 4'4 four, four speed kind of guy, but Tebow is right in the probably four five, four sixes, or at least he used to be. I think he could still run pretty fast. And it's not like there's a bunch of wear and tear on his body. I mean, he was playing baseball for the last few years. So just my personal opinion on this, I like it. I don't mind it at all. I think it's going to be probably a deal for the vet minimum if it's not exactly for the vet minimum. And, you know, like I said, the familiarity with Urban Meyer, the the fact that him and Trevor Lawrence are going to get along just fine. There's not going to be any like, you know, animosity or, or competitive nature between the two of them, like to where Tim's upset that he's not the starting quarterback. You know, I don't think we're looking at that kind of thing. I think we're looking at a situation where he will be a good team player for them and good for the young quarterback. So I get it. And uh, I'm not mad at it. I like Tebow to the Jaguars and it'll certainly be interesting when you, when you see, you know, I mean, let's say Trevor Lawrence stubs his toe and, and misses a, a couple games and Tim Tebow, don't be surprised. You see him at quarterback. I'm, I'm just saying, I always felt like he could play quarterback 
you know, at least, you know, not not be a great quarterback. But look, he rescued the Denver Broncos that year, right? Like they were like two and four, one and five, something like that. And he came and I think won every game except for the uh, except for one the rest of the season and then beat the Bron- uh, beat the Steelers in the playoffs. So, you know, on a game winning 70 yard touchdown pass to Demarius Thomas. I mean, it was it was a pretty special season. And then to think that after that happened and after he showed that he could have success, he never played again, never got a chance to be a starting quarterback again. That was, that was pretty strange. I don't fault the Denver Broncos for signing Peyton Manning. You know, that worked obviously out well for them, two trips to the Super Bowl and one championship. Um, so I get that, but it was strange how it all ended with Tebow. And, um, you know, I think he probably should have been more open-minded to playing tight end uh, during the first go-round of his NFL career. But at the same time, I don't blame him because I think he could have played quarterback, you know, at least at least to some level, right? At least be a good backup. Okay. Another thing I want to talk about is the um, the Indianapolis Colts, right? When you look at before yesterday happened where they signed, if you guys missed it, left tackle first, former first overall pick, Eric Fisher, the formerly of the Kansas City Chiefs. They signed him to play left tackle for them. And before yesterday, if you had asked me, hey, what's the Colts' weakness? I'd say left tackle, right? Now we're going to assume that Fisher's healthy, right? And they got him for a pretty affordable price of like nine million bucks, nine and change. So what's the I ask you now, if we assume Fisher's healthy, right? What is the weakness of the Indianapolis Colts? I mean, honestly, what is their weakness? That they have a pretty I mean, yeah, you could say edge rusher's not you know, incredibly strong. And I would agree with you there. I still think they should bring back Justin Houston. But, you know, maybe some depth along the interior of the defensive line and the edge rusher spots, I think, are are there. Maybe a veteran edge rusher. But they did draft a couple of edges in this draft class, I believe. So when you look at it like that, right, other than edge, you know, and just depth along the interior of the defensive line, like I said, what is their weakness? I mean, they've got capable receivers. They have depth at the receiving positions they obviously excuse me had a very good offensive line if not great offensive line until they lost their left tackle now they have another left tackle who's a pretty damn good player in his own right Eric Fisher and you look at it it's just like where's their weakness I don't see much in the way of actual weaknesses for this team you know so um yeah I mean that I just find that interesting I think that you know are we and granted we haven't really been talking a ton about like what we think about certain teams and power rankings and things like that, which I'll probably get to eventually, but being that we're almost 90% of the way through the team building process in terms of personnel moves and things like that in the off season, I think that the Indianapolis Colts are a team that doesn't have a ton of weaknesses, right? They, they really don't. So I am, uh, I'm interested to see kind of how their season, it, it, it all, of course, as it usually does in situations like this, it's going to come down to Carson Wentz. And if he's ready to be a good football player again, a really good franchise caliber quarterback again, if he is, and, um, you know, they're going to have a really good running game. They're going to be strong up front on the offensive line. I mean, even without, the truth is, even without Eric Fisher, they were still going to be probably a slightly above average offensive line. And, um, you know, with Eric Fisher, I think they're a very good at maybe even a great offensive line right away. So, um, Again, that makes them if if Carson Wentz is good, they're going to be a really tough team to beat. So I, I like the Indianapolis Colts and kind of what they look like. Let's talk about the rookie quarterbacks, right? So we know Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence are 
pretty much going to be starting, right? Week one starters, and we get all that. And and I think they'll play well. I think Zach Wilson is in a situation with the Jets where they have put a pretty good supporting cast around him, you know, and relatively quickly, right? It's going to come down to two things. Number one, how ready to be an NFL quarterback is Zach Wilson, okay? Number two, because I think he will fit fine, perfectly fine in that system. Now he's going to fit flawlessly. It couldn't be a, you know, that Kyle, I mean, I'm sorry, um, Zach Wilson going to the Jets or the 49ers would have been just a perfect fit. So that makes sense. And uh, I'm not worried about that at all. But I guess it's going to come down to how well does he fit in that system? And how quickly can the Jets kind of um, build that cohesiveness as a unit on the offensive side of the football, right? And then when you look at the defense, I think they are in a perfect position to be a top 10 defense right away. So if Zach Wilson comes out, right, and he is, you know, Justin Herbert of last year caliber play right from the opening jump of the of the season, I think the Jets could low-key, and I probably should have mentioned them in my in my podcast yesterday as a team that could possibly be in the hunt for a wild card. I mean, at least obviously the one glaring weakness is going to be experience, right? You got a first-year head coach, first-time head coach, you got a first-time offensive coordinator in LaFleur over there. You've got a bunch of young guys all over the place and a first-year quarterback. So that's kind of, you know, going to be a hurdle. But I think that if if the defense comes out and plays well right away, like top 10 caliber, and Zach Wilson plays well right away, you're going to be looking at a team that in theory could compete for a wild card spot right away. You know, as crazy as that might sound, because the offensive line is pretty good. You know, with Makai Becton, they got Ali Vera Tucker now at left guard, going to be next to, I mean, that's a really strong one-two punch on the left side of the offensive line for them. So, yeah, the Jets, if, they, if, if they're if they as good defensively as I think they could be, um, you know, they, they're, I don't think they are a likely playoff contender, but I think that they're going to win – I would say at least six or seven games, you know, and, and maybe even eight or nine, 10, you know, who knows? But I think that that's interesting. So obviously you've got Trevor Lawrence and he's going to be starting for the Jaguars and they're, they're going to be exciting. You know, they, they've got, again, a, another, another team with a bunch of young talent all over the place. And Trevor is a guy that I think that because of what he can do with his legs is going to be able to move the football and score points early on as an NFL player. You know, I, I don't think that, you know, like whereas Zach Wilson is going to have to be a polished NFL passer because he's not going to be able to do the things that Trevor Lawrence can with his legs. Now, Zach Wilson's plenty mobile. I get that. But he's not. Trevor Lawrence is going to be a guy that can run for a thousand yards. If you if you have to depend on that a little bit more than you'd like, he can run for a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns as an NFL quarterback. You know, so that part of it is is pretty wild when you when you know when you consider Zach Wilson's never going to do that right he can probably get you three or four hundred on the ground and four or five six touchdowns or whatever but he is mostly going to have to beat you as a passer right and and moving around as a passer still also is is an attribute he can hurt you with but that's kind of the one thing that um, I think is is uh, different about those two so Trevor Lawrence is a guy that. You know, I don't think the I think the Jaguars are slightly behind the Jets in terms of like where they're at as a team. I don't think that because the Jets defense to me, especially with Robert Sella there, is going to be a defense I think that can legitimately be top ten right away. The Jaguars are a defense that I think could could be. You know, I think what would be good for them is is a little bit better than how the Panthers defense was last year. The Panthers kind of overachieved in my opinion in terms of how well they were able to play with you know, limited experience slash limited 
talent. The Jaguars have a little bit more talent, but they're basically just as bare in terms of experience. So I think that is going to be interesting. And that's why I think they're a year away from the playoffs. Let's talk about now Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones and where they're particular kind of um, how they're – when they could start, right? I think that in the case of Justin Fields, as I've stated before, he is going to start sooner than later. You know, the the organization ownership in Chicago did not sign off on that trade and giving away future draft capital in order to sit Justin Fields behind Andy Dalton, right? No disrespect to Andy Dalton, but we know what Andy Dalton is, you know, and, and we know what he's not, right? So we, we know that even if he is back to the prime Andy Dalton with Matt Nagy and company there in Chicago, I think that we don't really believe Andy Dalton is going to be the thing that keeps Matt Nagy's job intact, right? And at the end of the day, Matt Nagy is going to be the one that tells you who the starting quarterback is because he's the head football coach and his future, meaning his 2022 and beyond is going to be decided by what he does in 2021. So Justin Fields, in my opinion, is going to be starting before week five, I would say in almost certainty. And I think that it could even be week one or two. Like it could be similar to what the Giants did a couple of years ago with Daniel Jones, where it was like, yeah, we're going to start Eli, you know, and then week two rolls around Daniel Jones starting, <laughs> you know, it could, it could really be that similar. And I think that it also is going to obviously depend on, and I really hope we get preseason this year. I think we're going to get it. Um, how well Justin Fields plays in preseason. If he goes out there and has a Daniel Jones, Dak Prescott style preseason, you know, that caliber of preseason, I, I don't think there's any chance he's he's not starting week one. You know, so Fields, I think, in Chicago will start week one. And I think the Bears, as long as their defense gets back to playing how they were when Hicks was healthy and Mack can be a little bit more productive, I think that defense and the young secondary holds up. I think that defense can be pretty good. And I think they can be definitely a team that challenges for a wild card spot. So when we look at the San Francisco 49ers now with my guy Trey Lance, to me, a situation that I could see happening and maybe even being the best case scenario for them is Jimmy Garoppolo playing really well to start the season. You know, I mean, mean, first half of the season where he's almost dominant, right? And then he misses a game in like week 10, right? Trey Lance comes in, starts that game looks absolutely electric and then they'd roll with Trey Lance the rest of the way similarly to what I've and again I've I've talked about this plenty of times before to what Colin Kaepernick you know that situation when he took the job from Alex Smith and I think that was a big part of the reason why San Francisco went to the Super Bowl that year is because you didn't give a team you didn't give teams a whole year's worth of tape you randomly three quarters of the way through the season plugged in a huge wrinkle right to your to your offense and I think that makes them and that made them back in the day with Kaepernick even more dangerous because they were so unpredictable you know it was a completely different style and I think that's the kind of upside Trey Lance offers you except for Trey Lance is a much better thrower of the football than Kaepernick was you know so Trey Lance is a dude that you know if you do that make that switch with him I could easily see that team running the table and and getting to the Super Bowl and even winning it. So um, Trey Lance, I think that's the best case scenario for them simply because of the element of surprise there and the lack of tape teams will have against him. And um, But I do believe that, again, if Jimmy Garoppolo, similar to what I said about Justin Fields a second ago, if, if Dalton comes out and plays crappy in the first three games, if Jimmy comes out and plays crappy in the first three games, we're going to see Trey Lance in week four. You know, it's just it's that simple. Look, they're talking about this guy as the most intelligent quarterback in the draft. 
That means that contrary to all the bullshit that media has spewed out of their mouths for the last few months, Trey Lance is far more pro-ready than anybody else anticipated, right? Because they have him on the whiteboard challenging his football IQ and how well he retains information as a football you know, mind. And he's doing it at such a high level to the point where they're saying he's the smartest quarterback in the draft. You know, I think that that stands for something, especially when we know how, you know, ridiculously talented he is from a physical standpoint. So I think Trey Lance, again, I don't think he'll start week one. I definitely don't think that'll happen. But I think as early as week three, four, five, six, he could be in there. And if it's a perfect case, a perfect storm of a scenario, I think it, it would work out just like it did with Alex Smith and Kaepernick in the late season passing of the torch in the like lookout, you know, kind of lookout type of, uh, of, um, you know, thing after they make that quarterback switch there. And then Mac Jones. Okay. Cam Newton and Mac Jones is, is the one that's, you know, before the whole draft actually unfolded, everybody would have said Mac Jones is more pro ready than Trey Lance. Right. And, and, you know, I might have even agreed with that. The point I'm making is this Cam Newton, when you put six foot six, 250 pound Cam Newton on that field with, even with his, arm not being what it used to be it's still better than mac jones arm in terms of just power and strength right when you see that on the field right and then and you see the way the team is going to rally around cam newton in terms of his leadership skills because they are elite he never gets the credit he deserves as a leader and i think that the most evident way i can i can portray that to you is that bill belichick had nothing but glowing reviews of cam as a leader from week one all the way until the end of the season. You know, he just the same type of like, this guy is amazing. The team, he's the first one in, the last one out. The team rallies around him. The team loves him. He's a great leader, you know, but I think Cam is also a guy that is fighting for his starting quarterbacking life right now, right? So number one, there's the physical discrepancy in terms of just Cam Newton's an absolute freak physical specimen, Mac Jones, little chubby little dude, right? That, that looks like a tennis player or something. No disrespect to tennis players, but that's kind of the first thing you have to go by there. Secondly, the team is rallied around Cam and they all the way believe in Cam Newton, you know, so Mac's got another hurdle to jump there. Um, and you've got, and whereas Justin Fields and Trey Lance are in positions where, where, you know, aside from the locker room loving Jimmy G and maybe Andy Dalton, the physical advantages in terms of just appearance goes to them, right? Like they're like the, whoa, like look at that shiny new toy. Whereas Mac Jones doesn't have that same allure. You know, it's not like, oh, look at this. We can't wait to get that dangerous guy on the field. He's not like that. You know, he's just a good quarterback. And then Cam Newton, um, if he plays well, I just, I just don't see Mac Jones supplanting him as a starter. You know, it's going to be very, very difficult, right? And I expect Cam to play well because, again, he's desperate for he's he's got to show that he can still be a starter in this league. Number two, there is a created sense of urgency when you have a first round quarterback also in the building. Right. And don't get me wrong. Cam Newton is going to absolutely be a great mentor and teammate and very supportive of Mac Jones and his development and his and the, the fact that he's probably the future of the Patriots organization at the starting quarterback position. But all things considered, Cam Newton is going to come out there absolutely swinging for the fences. And um, I think that now that he actually has some players around him to help 
and a good offensive line, an improved offensive line, I think we're going to see a pretty good version of Cam Newton. It's not going to be 2015 MVP Cam, but it's going to be a pretty damn good football player and one that it's going to be hard for Mac Jones, a guy that, you know, doesn't have a ton of experience, even at the college level, it's going to be hard for him to supplant Cam Newton, in my opinion. All right. And let's also discuss guys. Just, I just want to talk about a few of the free agents that are still available. It's pretty wild, right? So you've got Richard Sherman still available. You've got, we just had Eric Fisher just signed yesterday for the, the left tackle now, now formerly on the Indianapolis Colts for to like a $9 million deal, like I said. But we've still got um, Richard Sherman, Justin Houston, Kowan Short, who's a pretty damn good player still, if he's healthy, of course. Melvin Ingram, again, another really solid player. Russell Okung, a starting caliber left tackle, who's had his own injury issues, I'm aware. Um, Sheldon Richardson, a guy that was just released from Cleveland. Trey Turner, a you know, pretty damn good young still. Was he like 26, 27 years old? You know, Pro Bowl slash could be even an all pro caliber guard that I would look for the Giants to sign if um, they don't feel totally comfortable with what they have there in terms of their young offensive line. And then uh, Mitchell Schwartz, the former right tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs, you know. So that's, those are some guys that, like, what if the Cowboys sign Richard Sherman and Justin Houston? How would you feel about Dallas going forward? Like, I, I would think that right there jumps them up substantially in terms of how, at least how I feel about them. Now, I'm not saying they would have enough money to make that happen, but I, but I am saying, um, you know, it might not, well, it might not cost as much as you think. Like, if you were to sign Richard Sherman and Justin Houston right now, if you're Dallas, I think you'd get Richard Sherman for somewhere around – seven or eight million right now i mean look patrick peterson i think got 10 million you know i think it's fair to say patrick peterson is going to be valued more at this particular time in his career than richard sherman is you know sherman's a couple years older sherman is more of a you know a little bit limited from a schematic standpoint where you're not gonna you're not gonna ask richard sherman to follow the opposing team's number one receiver around stuff like that so i think seven eight million bucks is, is right where i would value him and if you Again, use those voided years or something. You could make that only count three or four million on the cap this year. And then if you sign Justin Houston, I think is a guy that's going to be right in the same range. You know, you could you could essentially, in terms of 2021 cap space, you could get both of those guys under contract if you maneuver the numbers a little bit for somewhere around six to eight million combined. You know, you really could. So if they have that much cap space, or if they can create that much cap space, I think that makes sense for the team like the Cowboys. Because look, Dallas is a team. That I and I know people are all excited because, like, oh, look at they drafted all defense in the first six picks or whatever it was. I get that, um, and that's cool and all, but you need some good, you know, like you need some veteran players there as well. So I think that if you could put Justin Houston as the as the you know bookend in terms of the other side of Demarcus Lawrence, you got one side Demarcus Lawrence, one side Justin Houston. I think that's a true upgrade. And you've got Randy Gregory coming in in situational spots as well. So I think that would definitely help this Dallas defense, which, excuse me, they're going to need more of a pass rush, right? They, they just are. And their secondary was actually okay last year. So, um, but yeah, man, I think that any of these guys, and not to say that they're going to make a gigantic, drastic change in a particular, a particular team, but I think that like, you know, if the right team lands any one of these guys, you could be, you could be really excited and, and really, you know, it would increase the way you think about a certain team if the, if the right team grabs these guys, you know? So, I mean, like imagine if the New York giants, 
If the New York Giants signed Justin Houston right now, how would you feel? I think that's a pretty good signing for the Giants because the one the one little question you have on that defense is like, yeah, but who's the like veteran edge rusher? You know, and, and you don't necessarily get excited about who that guy is for them. You bring Justin Houston in there now and, and you're looking at a defense that's pretty well rounded in terms of I think they'd be a, a shoe in for top top five at worst uh total defenses. So They'd be really good. And then you got the Washington football team as well. I mean, they, they, um, that's two really good defenses in the NFC East. So who knows? But yeah, I, I also, the last thing I want to talk about, guys, is the intriguing quarterback room of the New Orleans Saints and then the, the depth, I mean, the uh, quarterback competition, I should say, uh, between Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. So Jameis Winston, first of all, it's sort of mind boggling the lack of interest in him, right? Because again, he had to sign a deal in New Orleans that let's face it was not the most glamorous of deals. You know, it was, it was what well, I think like two or 3 million bucks in, in base salary, guaranteed money. And then it's a bunch of incentives that could take it up to like 10, 12 million. So it's not anything crazy, right? When you look at Taysom Hill, he's obviously a guy that, and I can't really wrap my mind around this, but when Drew Brees got hurt last year, instead of putting Jameis Winston in as the starter because he was the quote-unquote backup, you know, um, technically. You put Taysom Hill in there. And and Taysom Hill did about what, you know, as well as anyone could have expected he would do with considering the fact that he, um, you know, no one really thought of him as a real quarterback, right? But I think in this year they're having a true competition because they think Jameis Winston is, you know, they wanted to see what they had in Taysom Hill, I guess, and they – um, I think they value the role Taysom Hill plays, right? Meaning not as a starting quarterback, but the role that he comes in and he catches the ball on third down. He makes a block on, uh, you know, in this particular play for Alvin Kamara, he makes a tackle on special teams. I think they like that value and what they get. Because look, you can say whatever you want from Taysom Hill, but there are not many human beings on planet Earth capable of doing all those things I just mentioned. And Taysom Hill is a guy that is capable of that. And I think that's why, like, Taysom Hill, having him on your roster, right, especially when he's playing the role I just described where it's a little bit of everything, that saves you from having to, to sign a $4 million special teams ace, right? It saves you from having to sign uh, maybe a backup tight end. It saves you from having to sign, you know, an, it, it saves you from having to roster an additional wide receiver. You know, it, it's really unique in that, right? So you might not think that it's a great value, and I've often made fun of the value as well. But when it's when you really look at the big picture from a real, you know, not a statistical standpoint, but from just a football standpoint, and understand that all those other positions would cost you X amount of dollars, you know, $3 million here, $2 million there, $5 million here, you know, and it's kind of roundabout the value of Taysom Hill. You know, it really is. So, but I think that, again, if you have Taysom Hill as your starting quarterback, you're not going to have him doing all that other stuff. So I think you really get the bang for your buck when he's doing that, all that other stuff, especially when you have a guy like Jameis Winston out there that we just saw two years ago lead the NFL in touchdown passes. Now, yes, he also led the NFL in interceptions, and I, I get all that, but he's a dude that can go out there and we know for a fact can throw 30 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. We know that. Like, how many guys can you say that about, you know? But I think that it's also telling and, and somewhat interesting, in my opinion, the reason why I want to talk about this, 
that Sean Payton still drafted Ian Book and somebody that no one's really talking about signed Trevor Simeon. Look, Trevor Simeon's no world leader, right? I get all that. But what Trevor Simeon is, and let me just put it like this, right? Let's just negate, don't think about anybody else on the Saints roster in terms of their quarterbacks. If Trevor Simeon was the starting quarterback for four games, what's the Saints record in those four games? I think it's two and two at worst. I, I really do. I, I don't think what I'm getting at is he is a good backup quarterback, in my opinion, in this league. He's still, you know, relatively young. He was a guy that after four games in Denver a few years ago, led the NFL in touchdowns. So I don't think it's like as, you know, completely absurd to think about him being at some point or another on this team an effective starter. And if nothing else, a quality backup and a guy that is going to bring out the most in those that he's competing with, especially in this particular situation where it's a Sean Payton offense, you know, he's going to be utilized to the best of his abilities and he's, it's going to be a creative offense. Trevor Simeon is smart and he's accurate, you know, and I think that that is going to, if nothing else, again, it's going to keep the other guys on their toes. I think it was a brilliant signing from the standpoint of, you know, just having that, you want competition to bring out the best in everybody. And I think that Trevor Simeon being your what fourth or fifth quarterback, whatever it is, third or fourth quarterback does that. I do. I also love the idea of adding Ian book in the draft, you know, look, Ian book, I didn't love him. You know, I, I think he's like my QB 10 or something like that, but I like him. Um, tough as nails, you know, a pretty smart kid. Um, he has a pretty good arm. You know, it's just, it's an, he's an interesting guy to add to the, to the equation because it shows me again that Sean Payton absolutely covets competition at this quarterback spot. And it's not just Jameis and, and Taysom Hill, but it also shows me that he wants to get, I think, Taysom Hill back into his, you know, other role, right? So I think there's a chance all four of these guys make the roster. Right. We know Jameis is going to make it. We know we know Taysom Hill is going to make it. But I think that if Trevor Simeon comes out there and lights it up in the preseason, which I don't see any reason why he can't in this offense. Right. And um, Ian Book is the guy you spent with a fourth or fifth round pick on. So it's not crazy to say, let's keep those three as our three quarterbacks in that Jameis, Ian Book and Trevor Simeon. You know, if, if anything should happen to Jameis or if he throws just 20 picks in the game and we would bench him. We put Trevor Simeon in. We'll have Ian Book just basically be an inactive and kind of guy that just sits there and watches these professionals play for this year and see what see how he develops after a year on the sidelines. But we don't want to we don't want to take a chance of releasing him and, and putting him on the practice squad because he might get scooped up by somebody. You know, we we spent a fourth or fifth round pick on him. I can't remember which one it was. But I think that's kind of the you know the interesting dynamic to this whole thing, right? It it, it might say, hey. We think Jameis could be the guy for the future, but again, evidenced by our one-year deal that's heavily incentive-based, we're not sure about that. Therefore, let's make it as competitive as an environment as possible. You know, let's even draft the guy early on day three to bring in there and compete with him. And I think that it just makes for a one highly interesting quarterback room and not coincidentally right after the retirement of Drew Brees. I mean, we looked at, look at Drew Brees and what he's done for the last, what, 
roughly two decades in New Orleans, there hasn't been this kind of roster construction at the quarterback position for the Saints. You know, there, there really hasn't. So um, this shows you that they are not going to get complacent and just say, oh, you know, it's Jameis's time. It's not that simple. They hope so. They absolutely hope so. Um, and if so, Jameis will get paid handsomely after this year if he is that guy. But I think that this is an interesting situation because it's just – it's balanced very nicely with competition. you know, And that's always going to bring up the best. And competition doesn't always mean that Jameis might not be the starter or that whoever might not be the backup or whatever. What it means is that there's legit competition there. You know, it's going to – it should, in theory, bring out the best in each of these guys. And whoever that number one guy is, which will probably be Jameis, it'll float to the top and, and it'll look like that. So I think the, the Saints quarterback room is something that no one's really talking about that I want to just touch on, you know, to finish this podcast up is something that I find interesting. So anyways, hope you guys enjoyed the pod. I will be back another one with another one tomorrow. See you later. Peace.